Hi, welcome to Enlightened Empaths with Samantha and Denise. Tonight we're going to be talking about finding your true voice part two, and I'll have the opportunity to talk with Samantha and find out about her path. The premise of this show and and what we love to do, we're both psychic mediums, intuitive mediums if you prefer that, and we're hoping to use this venue to help people connect and find their own inner light and knowing and to validate that you your empathic abilities and sensitivities hi samantha hi how are you all doing okay are you ready to jump in i am ready to jump in okay so so as you know from previous shows samantha and i met in new jersey we were at a workshop with joan holland and i would absolutely love to hear how you started on this path, if it was something that started when you were a child, uh, later in life, um, when you started to wake up and realize that, that, this, that you truly are as empathic as you are. Well, I think it was kind of a slow journey. Um, I love that now, in, in, in today's day and age, it's really cool to be psychic. I love that because I felt, and I don't know if you felt this way, but Growing up, that was something that was weird or strange or mm-hmm. just not talked about. Um, Excuse me. My mom would always say that she was psychic, and she was. Like, she would know stuff all the time growing up about us, and it freaked me out. Again, I didn't find it fascinating. Like, she would give us 50 cents every day to buy white milk at school with our lunch. Like, we brought our lunch, and then she'd give us 50 cents and say, you know, buy the white milk. I don't want you drinking chocolate milk. You don't need the sugar. Mm-hmm. And every time, like always, like once a week, I'd sneak and get the chocolate milk. And the one day that I would do that, I'd come home and she'd say, you drank chocolate milk today, didn't you? <laughs> so <laughs> psychic stuff like never really excited me. It always scared me. I remember my first crush was on a boy named Gray Tiller. And I was, I think, in the sixth grade. And I came home and she was like, you have a crush on a new boy, don't you? Like, she just knew stuff that I, you know, I didn't want her to know. And so I was like, oh, this is not cool. Um, And it kind of, for me personally, I grew up, you know, seeing um, spirits now and then, not on a constant basis. I'm not claiming to be that kid from that movie that I saw dead people all the time. But I would see things. I would sense things. um, And Again, it was never like, wow, look at me, that's so cool. It was always scary. Uh, So I definitely worked hard to shut it down. I mean, literally, the last spirit I saw with my physical eyes, I was 16. And I spent most of the evening on my knees next to my bed praying to God that to shut that down, that that would never happen again. That is such a, that is a really, really good point. And and I think because it did, it scared me too. It really used to freak me out. And even if you grow up this way and you're sensitive and you're empathic, all of a sudden when you start realizing there's someone else in the room or picking up on things, it, it's very unsettling. It is. And prayer was a big part for me as well. So, well, and, you know, so and, how did you move past that? Um, well, it took a long time. But what I think what really happened was... Um, It's just, it's kind of a weird journey, and and I've told it before on on my other podcast, so I don't want to bore any old listeners, but for new listeners, I'll I'll summarize it quickly. Um, I was was an English teacher at my local community college, and I was dealing with a really creepy student who was uh, basically stalking me, and not in a, like, isn't she cute way, in a, like, I'm going to find your house and harm you way, uh, because he wasn't happy with a grade I gave him. Um, I went to, you know, my department chair for help. It was, it was a class I taught that was about a block from the main campus at 5 p.m. on a Tuesday, it was a Tuesday, Thursday class. And that's a really tricky time to be on campus because most everybody is gone. And there was like one 89 year old security guard, you know, so I was terrified. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, one day I walked into my office and there was a red, kidney shaped rock on my desk. And, you know, I had never purchased a rock. It was red and shiny and nice, but I, I'm a very, very clean person. I always keep my office immaculate. I knew I didn't leave it there. I, I, I was fairly certain housekeeping wasn't giving me tips, you know, so I thought, where did this come from? 
And we have a wonderful uh, geology professor um, named Phil Garwood, but everyone calls him Dr. Rocks. So I went up to his office and I said, Dr. Rocks, I found this stone in my office. Like, what do I do? And he said, wow, who do you need protection from? Oh. And, you know, I hadn't told anybody except my department chair because it's kind of a weird thing to walk around and talk about. And I said, well, actually, I do have this student who's kind of freaking me out. And he said, well, that's Jasper and it will protect you. And I I really respected this man. I really like him. Um, He's just very funny and kind and students just love him. And so I knew, and I knew he was a very, very smart man. And, and I, I would, I just looked at him and I said, a rock can do that. And he said, (laughs) yeah, it can keep it in your pocket. And I was like, okay, Dr. Rocks. And I just kind of walked away and thought, what the heck is going on? So, but I did it. I kept it in my pocket. And that weekend, the student was arrested for trying to set a golf course on fire and Mm. never came back to school. Wow. Yeah. So how long ago was this? That was um, like 2002 or three. Okay. So really, relatively speaking, not that long ago. No, no. I I was married. I had two young kids. I was a full-time teacher. Um, I was in my 30s. Did you ever figure out where the rock came from? No. uh -uh. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I'm just so interested in this. No. And I still have that rock. Wow. So that was the preface to all the crystal stuff? That was it. Yep. Yep. Holy holy moly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, was that the other one? Uh, that's uh, that's incredible. Yeah. It was, so then from there. So from there, I started getting like addicted to rocks. I went to this. Um, I went to my massage therapist, and at the at her little register, she had a bag of lucky rocks. And I was like, Oh, I'm gonna get a bag. Who who wouldn't like a bag of lucky rocks? So I got that. And um, again at the community college. They they're always building. Like if they if the, if my community college gets one extra dollar, do they give it to the teachers or the students? No, ma'am. No, they build brand new buildings all the time. So they had killed our parking lot to build a new building. So we literally had to park with the students like 18 miles away and cross this bridge. It was ridiculous. I hated it. And so we were always fighting and competing for parking spaces. So I would drive to school and I'd hold my bag of Lucky Rocks and I'd go, please give me a parking space. Because if any of you, I think everyone can agree, the minute you start reading metaphysical stuff, whether it's Doreen Virtue or, you know, The Secret or Wayne Dyer, what's the first thing they tell you to manifest? A parking spot. A parking (laughs) Which I don't know why that became like, (laughs) and it works. So I'd hold this bag of Lucky Rocks and I would always get like the one spot everyone fought over. It was so weird. Again, placebo or these little rocks doing something. I don't know. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So I started getting really into rocks and, uh, you know, no one else around me was. And this, um, randomly, I mean, I've, I've lived in this town for a long time. We, we do not have metaphysical or spiritual stuff here, but randomly this one year, there was a metaphysical show that came to our town. And so I begged my dad to come with me, um, and just, you know, to have someone to walk around with. And I remember I took, um, $40. That was, that was my, I had to put like caps on myself for what I would spend on rocks, you know? So I'm walking uh-huh. around and I'm looking at all these stones and I'm I'm in heaven and this woman just walks up she was a psychic from Iowa and she walks up to my dad and she gives him this like spot on reading and my dad is an Irish catholic but if he could he would be a wasp like he, he <laughs> I grew up with him wearing ascots and smoking jackets like I'm not even kidding he's just a very like proper dignified gentleman and he does not show emotion and he started to cry because she was bringing wow. through his dad and I was like oh I'm just gonna step away from this emotional scene because I knew that would embarrass him even more so I just kind of stepped away and she called over his shoulder and goes don't you go anywhere I have a message for you too and I was Ooh. like, oh, okay. So I just kind of hovered and they finished and um, and my dad hugged her, which is, you know, another miracle. Right, for someone who's not 
demonstrative, yeah. that was a huge deal. So she comes up to me and she says, um, my guides are telling me that you're a healer. You have this beautiful light coming off of you and you're a healer. Well, I, I had no interest in being a healer. And I said, thank you so much. And thank you so much for what you said to my dad. And she said, no, you're not listening to me. You have to go get Reiki. And I was oh. like, Ray, what? I, what is that? And she said, it's a form of healing. And I said, I've never heard of this. And she said, wow, you're really new to this, aren't you? And so she wrote down the word R-E-I-K-I. And I thought, okay. So um, I Googled around my town and I found a Reiki uh, teacher. And she said, um, I'm actually teaching a class at the end of the month. I only do it once a year. And this one's coming up. And I thought, okay. Um and it was it was $150 for that first class, which was a lot of money for me to spend on myself with, you know, a young, my husband at the time was a police officer. I was a community college teacher. Like we weren't rolling in it. And for me to spend that money on myself for, for something, I couldn't even tell you what it was. Do you know what I mean? Right. It was really weird for me, but but I did it. And um, there were just four of us in the class and I really loved the teacher. Um, she was wonderful. And I I became enmeshed in this idea of healing people and feeling the energy coming out of my hands. And it was, it was very, very life changing. And so what she had us do was, um, she said, you have to meditate every day for 21 days after you receive a Reiki attunement to allow the energy to work through you. She explained it like Drano. <laughs> like, you know, like the Reiki energy is going to be cleaning out everything that's clogged you up and that you have to do it for 21 days to properly clean you so that you can be a, a pure vessel of light so that you can be the healer you're supposed to be. Does that make sense? It, it does make sense. But... But wow. I know. Okay. So so here I am at the time, you know, my kids were um, three and uh, 20 months. And I, you know, and I'm working and I'm reading all this stuff. And I somehow found time to meditate every night uh, and doing while doing the Reiki positions on me. And so I'm doing that. And um, I had this really, really, really good friend named George who died from colon cancer. Um, he's the one who came through when we met at the workshop. Do you remember that woman brought him through? Yes. Okay, right. that's George. With, with the song. Yes. There was a song involved with him. Yes. Okay. Yes. He's just this amazing, beautiful soul. And he was just a... We love George. We love George. <laughs> <laughs> and he had died in, uh, in, in the late 1997. And so um, I'm meditating and, and I see him, like in my eye, not oh. not with my physical eye. Right. And I'm like, well, isn't that wishful thinking, Samantha? You know, I wish I could see George. But then he showed me three things to show my sister because he was he was he's my sister's husband's nephew. I don't want to get too confusing. Mm -hmm. But anyway, right. so I called my sister the next day and showed her those three things. And she said, that's George. And you couldn't have known that. And I was like, what the heck is going on? So the next night I meditated and he came through again. And he said, I have to tell you about something. And I said, what? And all he showed me was a bullet hitting someone's neck and then that person grabbing their neck and blood coming out. And I said, what's going on? What are you trying to tell me? And I think I panicked that I shut down the communication because every night after that, I would meditate and that's all I would see. Now, George, um, my, my sister's husband's family is from Zimbabwe, Africa. And Zimbabwe is run oh. by one of the top 50 worst dictators in the world, a, name, a man named Mugabe. And he inflicts awful things on his people. And my sister, George's dad, runs one of the only grocery stores in all of Zimbabwe. And they're constantly being robbed and nothing happens. And so I really thought George was trying to tell me that something was going to happen to his family. Mm -hmm. And they are, well, that makes sense. yeah, and they are Greek Orthodox and had, you know, the loss from him was not that long ago. And I thought how that, so I called my sister, I called my best friend. And I'm like, how am I going to, if this is even true, like if I actually am doing this, how am I going to call these people up and say, um, I think one of you is going to get shot in the neck. Like it just sent me into a tailspin. Again, I wasn't sitting there going, isn't this cool? Look at me. I was freaking out. Meanwhile, it was July of, um, 2005 and I, I took my kids to the beach every morning 
um, after morning nap time. And every day this month, I'm finding heart-shaped seashells on the beach. I actually, I should post a picture on um, Instagram because what I did was I took all those heart-shaped shells I found that summer and I glued them onto this linen in a heart shape and I framed it in my, in my home just so I can remember how many heart-shaped shells I found that summer. And so I, I just started to think something's coming for me. I don't know that this is for George. Like this is feeling personal. So I kept trying to get to it and I couldn't. Long story short, my husband uh, at the time, the police officer, was shot in the neck on July 29th of 2005 and it was really bad like he was in a coma for the rest of the summer and nobody nobody thought he was going to live you know the doctors were like he's not going to live the night so Monsignor Matt came in and gave him last rites and I remember Monsignor's walking out of the, the room next to the ICU in the hospital do you know what they call it the bereavement room oh it's, that's the oh, label I, I didn't know that I know like I'm like people have hope <laughs> so I'm sitting in the bereavement room um, and he said to me, don't worry, Samantha, the church will cover the cost of the funeral. So it was bad, but um, he survived um, long, 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 long road to recovery. Um, but what that did for me is I remember sitting there with my sister and, and my two good friends and they in that little bereavement room. And they said, Samantha, you dreamt this. George showed you this. You dreamt this. You saw it in meditation. Like, there's something to that. And so I went to the little chapel in the hospital one of those nights, and I just said, God, if this is what you want me to do, I will do it. But you must make that man live. Oh, well, he's from head to toe. (laughs) And at the time, it was, he was shot July 29th. Um, August 4th, I um, found out I was pregnant with Chloe, my youngest. And so it was just, I just needed him to live. Do you know, like, I was like, I'm not raising these kids on my own. Like, I just, I loved that man. I was like, I'm not doing this on my own. So that was the deal I struck with God. I said, I will do this, but you must make him live. And so despite every odd given by every, you know, doctor, he did survive. Um. You know, he has an anoxic brain injury today, so there are a lot of repercussions, but he's still alive and able to help me parent our kids, which I'm very, very grateful for. Which, two two things, I mean, not only the amazing synchronicity of all of your whole story, is just, talk about spirit giving you a silver platter and saying, okay, this is what we're doing, put what you need on the tray. But the other piece that really struck me was how quickly it, like someone flipped the light switch and there was no way you could deny that this was your path because they really opened the floodgates and said, okay, dreams, meditation, the, the synchronicity of, of being at that first uh, rock show, metaphysical show, and having that psychic from the Midwest uh, approach you and your father. I mean, this is so divinely orchestrated. It's beautiful. I know. It was it was really intense. Um well, that so that year, that 2005, you know, that was a really intense year for me because my whole life was just nothing. I mean, he was in rehab for like six months. So my whole life was just taking care of these kids, taking care of my pregnancy and taking care of his almost daily doctor's appointments and then dealing with workers' comp, which if anyone has had to deal with that, oh, um, at the time that he was shot, the city allowed for injured officers to be paid for 21 days. Oh. And on day 22, oh, we went down to 44% pay. And I had to quit my teaching wow. job. So, you know, the city, um, the the residents of my, my town started doing fundraisers for us. They put on golf uh, benefits, oh. car washes, hooters. Like, I'm such a feminist. You, you will never see me in a hooters. <laughs> Yet I, I love hooters because they would do these huge lunches and all proceeds would go to us. And it, oh. it was wonderful. Oh. And it enabled me to stay home for a year with my kids and focus on healing. It was just great. I just I love this town because okay. of that. Okay, and two things pop in on that. It's what I had written a note when you were talking of making a commitment to be of service. And when you said 
you know, if this is what you want me to do, point me in the right direction. And it, all the resources that you needed came, the support you needed came. And that's another whole thing of when you don't fight the current with this kind of a, a work or this kind of, I don't like to call it a calling. I, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know, that always. Yeah, I don't like to call it a calling and I don't like to call it a gift. No, I don't either. It comes out of it's my mouth sometimes, it, but it's, it's not what I like to call it. Me too. And I, and when people say, oh, you're so gifted, I say, no, I'm not. I just, I get out of the way and the messages come through. But, but just the fact that you, you truly were in such a vulnerable place um, and having lost your friend and having come to you in spirit, having your husband uh, pretty much, well, there, it's a miracle that he didn't pass. But when you truly opened your heart and soul to, to the universe, to God, to, to all that is, and you said, okay, here I am, what do you want me to do? The the synchronicity and how easily this flowed together, and I'm sure at the time it didn't feel easy. It probably felt like, oh my God, how the hell am I going to pull this off? Yeah, it so, did. It felt yeah. exciting and exhilarating and scary in the next moment. But you know, Denise, I wonder if that vulnerability is a part of like like a pathway for all of us to open up because it's funny one thing that i always tell my friends that that awful and wonderful year taught me is how wonderful it is to drop the illusion of perfection like before mike's shooting i was very invested in presenting a perfect outlook and i didn't even if you had asked me in 2002 or 3 or 4 if that were true i would say no i'm the realest person you could meet but it wasn't true. Like I wanted everybody to know that my house always looked great. I always looked great. My children always looked great. My marriage was perfect. And when the shooting happened, I was like, none of that matters. None of that matters. And there was such a freedom in that. You know, when he and, was in the hospital, I, I had people coming in and out of my house to help take care of the kids. And that first week, my thought was, oh, thank God my house is clean. <laughs> you know whereas now like I don't give a crap about that so I think something about that vulnerability can help us awaken to our purpose or calling whatever it may be okay that vulnerability and also how many people who are doing this work or who are deeply empathic have had uh, situations or circumstances in their life that were so potentially debilitating, but you had to get strong enough to get through that. And I always look at that as, as coming on the other side of it. It gives you an empathy and compassion and understanding for where people are when they're in crisis. Yes, yes. And you can't do this Which work without that. You really right. can't. So um, after that year, what happened was I started having these incredibly vivid dreams. And I have not been able to have dreams like this since, and I don't know what that is, but I feel as though, and I, please, y'all do not judge me and think I'm crazy. I feel as though I spent this year in some type of psychic training school because what would happen, the first thing that happened was I, I woke up one night and there was this man in my room, but I was dreaming. Do you ever have dreams that are so real, but you know, you're dreaming, but you're still in your room? Yes, lucid dreaming, yes. Yeah, I, don't, I guess that is lucid dreaming. Um, so there was this older cowboy-type man named Red in my room, and he said, um, hey, are you cool with this? Are you comfortable? Are you scared? Because this is the dream state, so nothing scary, right? And I said, no, I'm not scared. Wow. And he said, okay. And he said, do you want to see how I died? And I said, uh, okay, sure. So he said, hold my hand. And I was able to witness the last, like, 30 minutes of his life. And then we were back in my bedroom, and he said, that wasn't so scary, was it? And I said, no, not at all. And he said, do you want to meet some of my friends? And I said, okay. So we walk out of my room into my kitchen. And my kitchen is filled with all these people. And all they wanted to do, they wanted me to hold their hand and show me how they died, how they spent their last few minutes on earth. Oh my and goodness. so I did that. I witnessed that moment for all of them. And then Red walked me back into my bedroom, tucked me in. It was like a little grandfather. He's was dressed like a cowboy, mm -hmm. had like the red baseball cap on. And he said, we've been trying to come to you for years for help. Are you ready now? Oh. And I said, yes, I think I am. I said, as long as it's in the dream state. 
because I was... Oh, that makes me want to cry. I was still scared. So then I started having these dreams and it was so crazy because every night I would, I would have, I would remember snippets, but I would, I, there'd be a, a person standing outside of a classroom with a clipboard and I would walk up and they would, I would say Samantha Faye and they'd check me in. And there was um, another girl who was pregnant like I was. And then there was this guy, I think his name was John or Jim, a young guy, like in his 20s, really, really nice. And the three of us were just kind of buddies and we would always sit together. And every night in our in my dream, it was a different topic. Like one night we'd learn about astral work and then the other night we'd learn about using your light. And another night we'd learn about dealing with negative forces. And And I would wake up and I would remember like there was this one dream where they, um, the, the teacher like literally appeared as different scary things. And we had to pull light from the palms of our hand and pull light from our heart, heart chakra and throw it at the dark energy until we overcame it with light. It, It was really amazing. So almost every night I'm having these dreams. Um, meanwhile, there's this woman and, I still don't know who she is. I know her name is Barbara, but I don't know where she lives. But every month she would email, or she, I'm sorry, she would mail me cards um, praying for you and your husband and your family. Hope he's recovering. I know what it's like to be a caretaker. So please remember to take care of you. And she would always include like $20 in the card. And she would say in there like, go get your nails done or you know, like go splurge on something fun for yourself. It was mm-hmm. just so lovely. Um, so one time, like this is like maybe in, I, this. Yeah. Let me think. Let me think a second. Chloe had not been born. So it was, and she was born in April of 2006. I was very pregnant. So I can't remember what had to have been early 2006. My Reiki teacher called and said, I'm doing a Reiki two class. Do you want to come? And I was like, yes, because my dream was to do Reiki, have a Reiki attunement <laughs> when I was pregnant. Because I had read in all mm-hmm. my Reiki books that if you're pregnant and you get Reiki, the baby is born as a little Reiki person. Well, that makes sense. I know, sense. and I loved that idea. So I was like, yes. And she said, great, it's $300. <laughs> well, I'm not working. My husband isn't working. We're living off, you know, the money that this lovely town has raised for us. I'm like, yeah, I can't do that. That woman, Barbara, that, so I said to God again, I'm like, if you want me to do this Reiki 2 class, you've got to provide the money. And, and good luck with that, mister. And that week... <laughs> Barbara, who had been sending me like $20 a month, sent me three $100 bills oh my and said, goodness. you know, please and, use this to do something for you. And that is, that is so, that's how the law of attraction really works when you surrender, when you let go, when you do the work. And, and that's, okay, sorry to interrupt. Keep going. No, this is fascinating. no, you're right. I think, I think that's the, the power of surrender. And so, you know, again, I still felt selfish, like spending $300 in 2006 on, on me, um, hiring a babysitter to watch my other two kids because my, my husband at the time wasn't capable of that. I mean, it was just a big step for me, but I did it. I had a great time. I loved Reiki. If any of you have gotten Reiki 1 and walked away and was like, eh, I don't know if that was for me, please try Reiki 2 because that kicks it up to a whole new level. I learned about all the ancient symbols. I learned how to do distant healing. I just, I, I learned that you can with Reiki, well, really with anything, you can intentionally send healing energy into a past event and it will affect you in the present. You can send Reiki into the future and it will affect an event in the future. So I, I was so tuned in and turned on by Reiki too. I loved it. So I started doing that. You know what I love about that when you were talking about dreaming and dream school, and which I think is absolutely fascinating in the sense of it's because I do believe everything is energetic and, and there are different frequencies that we resonate at. That's why we can be mediums, because that's the way it works. It's all energy. But I was thinking about you, you triggered that part in your brain, but isn't that the same thing with the Reiki as far as being in a different uh, vibrational pattern? Yes. And tapping into that divine. Yes. And I love that. It's yes. Yes. You 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 put things but so at succinctly this time, to me. 
<laughs> but at that time, you didn't have a community. You didn't have a community of like-minded people to support you. Not with at this? all. Nope. Okay, and I think that's a huge yeah. part because because that's where a lot of people are right now that are probably listening. Are okay. I'm feeling all this stuff. I'm waking up. All of a sudden, I'm sensing things. What am I supposed to do with it? So, so this is perfect. Okay. Yeah. So, the, so I didn't have the community, and meanwhile, like weird stuff is happening. For example, I was driving my kids to um to preschool one day in 2006, and um. Well, first, I woke up that morning in the shower, and I felt like that Arquette girl from that show, The Medium, because this song was screaming in my head from day from the minute I was, you know, woke up, and it was Johnny Be Good. Mm-hmm. Not a song I perfect, I personally really like a whole lot, and it's it's just screaming in my head, and I'm driving down the road, and I, I it's like a hologram. It was the weirdest thing. I saw a man that looked just like my brother-in-law, again, my sister's husband, projected in front of me. And I was like, what the heck is going on? Now, this was um, this was October 21st of 2006, and I'll tell you why I remember that in a minute. So all day I'm hearing Johnny Be Good. I'm seeing this man that looks exactly like my brother-in-law, and I'm like, after the last time I got a visual, I thought I'd better pass this on. So I called my sister and I said, I don't know what's going on, but these are the two things that are happening. And my sister got very emotional and she said, do you remember I told you that, you know, Peter's older brother um, committed suicide in the 1960s? And I said, yes, but you guys never talk about it. And she said, well, his name was Johnny and today's his birthday. Um, Oh, Willie's from head to toe. October 25th is my daughter Tori's birthday. And so Courtney, my sister said, I never wanted to tell you that was his birthday because I, I, you know, personally, I I feel so sad that there's so much shame around suicide, you know? Um, That's why I I always, always, I always, when I'm working with someone or talking, I say, did they choose to leave? Because I do think for many, yeah. And that's huge because it's a choice and it's not something to be, be uh, judged or denigrated or because someone is in that much pain that they they choose to go um we need to respect that oh my gosh that's so funny my own personal me too me too i and i that's we have the same terminology well you know i know i mentioned robin williams the last time we talked so i promise i'm not like a huge robin williams fan but i i love him and (laughs) but one person after he um chose to leave said rather than denigrating him for you know exiting this way, I think we should give him courage for staying as long as he did. Exactly. And, and that, that there are so many people. And, and I think that this is just as, as an aside for so many people who are empathic, who are sensitive, who are psychic. It's, there's a very fine line between um, being overwhelmed, feeling depression, feeling anxiety. And for a lot of highly sensitive people, I truly, truly do believe that if you, that, it just becomes too yes. much. Yes. Especially if, if you're like Atlas carrying the weight of everybody's emotions on your back and you're not aware that you're doing that. Exactly. And that's why I exactly. hope this show can help people realize, you know, what's happening with their emotions. Yeah. Right. And that, so, and um, that people understand. So I told my sister this and the minute she said his name was, you know, Johnny, which I, I know I must have known. It's just this family never spoke of this. And my sister is uh, seven years older than me. And her husband is 10 years older than her. And he's the youngest of six. So Johnny passed a long, long time ago. Do you know what I mean? It's like way before my time. So anyway, as soon as she said that, I started getting information from Johnny. He started speaking to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, one of the things he said was tell my mother that her prayers got me out of the stuck place. And I don't know exactly what that meant, but I passed that on. And he said, and tell my mother that we're preparing a place for her in heaven. So Courtney's mother-in-law was living in a nursing home at this point, but was, she had COPD, but was doing very well with it. Courtney 
that day, went, brought her flowers, went to see her, told her what happened, which is very brave of her because, again, Greek Orthodox family, you know, not open to this. And um, right. her mother started to cry and said, every day since the day he passed, she showed her she's got this altar. It's, it's the only way I can describe it. It's like picture a little vanity table and instead of makeup and brushes, mm -hmm. she had this huge picture of Johnny and little pictures of, of him around it. And all these, um, you know, the, um, the saint candles and this little votive in front of his picture. And underneath the vanity was a cardboard box filled with votive candles, the little replacement things. And she said, every morning since the day he's passed, I have lit a candle and prayed for his soul. Oh. And so that was October 21st. She passed October 26th. Wow. So that was really amazing. But you gave her peace. You gave her peace that she knew it was okay and that she had done her job and could leave. And that, and that her son was going to be there to greet her because he was most right. surely in, in the good place, not the scary and, place and I, that a lot of right, people are but I do, believe in. I think that she she needed to know that. She needed to know that he was okay before she could go. Um, yeah, I do too. That's interesting. That's fascinating. So that was really Ooh. interesting. So then I started, I, I went to the metaphysical store and I signed up for intuitive development classes. And again, I am not a person to go anywhere by myself. I mean, I had to ask my daddy to come with me to the crystal show, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I could not, I couldn't even think of anybody I could ask to go to this intuitive development class. And I go, it's this little old house that they've converted into the store. And I walk in and the first person I saw was one of my students. And if any of you are teachers, oh you know the horror of that. <laughs> Right. But, you know, it's a community college, so it's not like she was a 17-year-old. She was she was 25, and she was adorable and sweet, and we hugged. And I don't know, I just I felt at home right away. I felt like I had come home. I felt welcome. I felt included. I felt safe. And so I went. And I think a huge, I, I just have to pop in for a second. I think a huge part of that is on some level you knew it was okay to be fully yourself. There. Yes. Yes. I didn't feel... The inhibitions. You know, have you heard that that um, phrase, imposter syndrome? How yes. most of us walk around, <clears throat> excuse me, feeling that we are imposters. I felt like an imposter every day that I taught at that community college. Because here's a secret I don't think any English teacher should ever admit. I don't really like the classics. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the language dry and boring. I find the stories fairly predictive. It, and it doesn't instill a love of literature and writing no. and English and no. words. No. It, 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 for some folks, it does. There's a rare, I, I work with a man who every once in a while he'll just quote something from, you know, Shakespeare's second act and, and he'll verbatim and he'll roll into it or he'll bring up something from, he'll just. And I say, how do you remember that? And he says, because I love it. And I've always kind of tilted my head like a lab and looked at him like, huh, you really do, don't you? Um, so <laughs> You're not making that shit up. Oh, well, how about that? <laughs> so as an English teacher, here's your student. You're in this class with the intuitive development. Yes, and so um, I, yeah, I love it. And I, I started going um, every other Friday night. Um, the teacher was a little different, like, there were some of us, we were good. Like, I mean, really, I have to say, like, there was a good core group of us where we were getting some amazing hits. I mean, there was some woman in there where I was like, look at you. And the teacher would be like, mm-hmm, thank you. Monica, would you like to share? And I'm like, holy cow, lady, she just brought through that guy's brother-in-law who passed away when she was seven and knew that, you know, she just bought new shoes today. Can we pause a moment and look right. and she was always like mm -hmm, thank you for sharing so after but she never validated for people nope. that they were getting the hits no. oh see i'm not a fan no of that. she was very nice she was an incredible teacher i mean she taught us how to open our energy how to work with it i mean she was great i'm just a very insecure person and i need someone to pat me on the back a lot and Okay. And, and also, if we rewind the tape back to that time. For, so this is 2006? Yeah. 
things weren't as mainstream as they are right now. So, and you've already mentioned you were in an area where this isn't a prevalent theme of people, for for people that to go to the metaphysical store and learn to be and in, in, do intuitive development. So, right there, just not to have that to go in, I would think you would want to say, oh, two things pop in is that. You know, for finally, for the first time in your life, you're around people who understand the way you're wired and they're doing the same thing. That's cause for celebration. And then the second thing is, please let me know that I'm doing this the right way. Yeah, I know. So what, what we learned a lot from her, I don't mean to disparage her at all. She's a she's a wonderful oh, no, no. medium. It's just we I, we felt that we weren't getting that, you know, wow factor that we needed. So we created our own group. We called ourselves the Seekers. And we went to the owner of that metaphysical mm-hmm. store and we said, you know, we really want to create a group of community. We didn't want like a teacher. We wanted it to be like a group feeling. And we said, could you, you know, email this out to other people? And she said, sure, it's, that'll be $75. <laughs> I'll never forget that. Like we had to pay <laughs> to email something out. But so we sent out this email to all of the people on her mailing list and we met at a, like a restaurant. And I, I don't know, we had a lot, maybe two dozen people showed up the first time. Um, and we decided that we would meet in someone's home every month. And whoever took that month, they would have to research a topic and present on it. And so uh, wow. we did that for about a year and a half. It was great. We ended up with a core group of like nine to 12 people, which I thought was really good. And um, every time it was my turn to host, I would teach about crystals. So everybody started calling me the crystal chick. And Mm -hmm. so that kind of stuck. Then I started, so while I'm doing this, so I'm going to these classes every other Friday at the metaphysical store. I'm helping to co-host this seekers group. I'm also taking classes in anything I can. I mean, I was driving all over the state for workshops on crystals and auras and everything else. And I started taking these classes that Deb Bowen, my co-host of Psychic Teachers, was teaching called uh, about Tarot, working with Tarot. And it was an intensive, like, eight-week class in her home that met every week. And I started learning Tarot. And, um, Deb and I became really good friends and she does this thing um, once, once a year at this old uh, plantation. She does readings for the, their Halloween festival. She's done it for like 32 years. It's, and she calls herself Madame Deborah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just her thing. And she, hundreds of people come to see her and it's really, really fun. And so this one weekend she couldn't do it. And she asked me to do a reading for her. Like, she was very professional. She was like, I think you're the real deal, but I need to make sure. So I did a reading Mm -hmm. for her. I was very scared. And she liked it. And so she said, will you fill in for me for this weekend? And I was super honored that she asked. But I had never done an actual reading before. You know, I just, it was all had been classes. And I did not know what to expect. And these readings, that you're, they put you in the old uh, slave cabins of the southern plantation. And you're Ooh. in this room. You get there. Like I got there at 4 o'clock. I was there Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night. All three nights, I did not leave before 1 a.m. I had lines out the door of people just coming to see me and... I was getting these mediumship hits like I'd never gotten in my life. Like I was not reading the cards. I was <laughs> hired to do card readings and I was not doing card readings. Now the whole time the nat- the um, African-American woman who had lived in that cabin was sitting on the bed like next to my little desk. Like I could see her out of the corner of my eye. I couldn't see her when I looked at the bed. But she was so nice and so kind and so protective. And I don't know if she held some type of sacred space or what, because I have since done reading nights like that where I do readings back to back. And I don't know about you, Denise, but after like the fifth or sixth mediumship reading, I start to get fuzzy. Like I get tired. I can't focus. I can't. I just I'm not good. And and that's yes, because I do a lot of the the full days. I still do that, and and I have to when I get to that point, I always reconnect with my guide and say, "I need you to step in," I, and I need and I'll say, "Please give me the strength to get through this." And I kind of go on autopilot, and then they keep downloading, and it keeps coming. But it is physically, mentally, and and emotionally, and even spiritually, such an intensity to do 
readings back to back like that. You know what I think is fabulous in all of this too? If someone, how short a time frame all of this happened for you, as far as from the dreams from George to the incident, you know, the horrific accident for your husband. If someone had told you at the beginning of that, oh, by the way, in a few years you're going to be sitting in in a on a plantation doing readings for lines and lines of people, you would have just looked at them and thought, okay, well, they're coming for you soon. You just be patient because there's no way. <laughs> there's no way you could have believed that that was going to be. Um, and, and also to put yourself out there and, and in a monthly meeting as someone who is, you know, from what you've shared, you're, you're more shy, you're more introverted. As for, it, that's so out of character. So huge, and to, to, to have this these groups in your home, you went from zero to 60 so quickly. It, it, it's very, very, which again points to me that you're, you, you truly, you're, you're, you're doing this because you came to do the work. It's not that you chose this, they chose you. Wow, that sounds, yeah, that sounds so nice. It never felt that way. <laughs> you know, like it always felt no, very but, but it, overwhelming and scary and exciting. But, but it, right, but the fact that it, it's so, I mean, oh my goodness, girl, if the fact that it fell into place and everything is just this huge, what I'm seeing are these big, huge stones across the river, like, okay, step here, step here, step here, and it was all progressive and one thing led to the next so smoothly, and I'm sure at the time it didn't feel that no, it did. No, you're right, but. hindsight. That's why I always will tell you know, like listeners to my psychic teachers podcast will always say, I want to open up too. What do I do? And I'll always say, all you have to do is say yes. You know, right. because I feel like when I was on my knees in that chapel in the hospital saying, okay, God, if this is what you want me to do, I'll do it. You know, but you have to make him live and you have to, you have to show me how to do it. I, I feel like I did strike some type of bargain that night. I, and I, but I also love the fact that Deb, Deb became a catalyst. She showed up in your life yes. as one of these these people who, you know, she's like, no, I need you to. You, you're ready. You can do this, and and handed you that. Whereas, you know, my friend who had said, no, I want you to come to this gathering and do readings. Very similar situation of we're going to help you step out and realize that it's okay to do this and that you can yes. do this. Yeah, and I think it's true. You have to look for those those teachers in your life, you know, however they show up. Or those catalysts, you know, is another good word. Right. But, and I think part of that too, though, is, is honoring that because the people that you've mentioned on a, a, on a level that they resonated with the way you, they felt right, they felt like you needed to be there, even if... You know, and I think right now when there's so much information, so many classes, so many people that are, you know, follow me, follow me. If it doesn't feel right, then that's not the person you need yes, to work with. Yes, you have to honor that. And I think yeah, that's so important. I agree. So I, after I did the readings at the um, plantation that night, I, I did get a lot of confidence from that. I did, and um, I remember what I did was I, I went to the. Uh, the metaphysical store was having this guest psychic in town who was a teacher, an actual school teacher like us and um, was a Catholic. And I thought, Oh my gosh, like she'd be the perfect person to read for me. So I signed up to go see her and she gave me an okay reading. You know, you know when people give you a good reading, but it could kind of fit. It's like, it's like a horoscope. It could kind of fit for 20 people. It was kind of one of those readings. And I was like, okay, thank you. And, And I stood up and, and I said, um, I said, I really feel like I'm opening up to this world myself. Do you see me doing readings like you're doing? And she said, no, honey, absolutely not. That did not come up in the cards. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. So I walk out to the owner of the metaphysical store and I sat down next to her and I was like, well, that was disappointing. And she said, why? And I told her and, and she said, um, you, you like psychometry when you come to those classes, right? And I said, yeah. And so she gave me a piece of her jewelry and she was like, read me. So I did a reading for her and some of her people came through and she was like, Samantha, you've got something. You need to do this. And she said, you can work here if you want. And I was like, I don't know if I'm ready for that. And so I, I, get, I wrote down my email address and my phone number and I said, you know what? 
it's it's the whole money thing like like take like having people spend their hard-earned money and i'm and something might come through and something might not really freaks me out i said why don't you just give my number and name out for anyone who wants to do a free reading and tell them i'm new and i'm practicing and so for the rest of 2006 and into the early part of 2007 for that year i just did free readings and random people would just call me up on the phone and they would leave an object of theirs at the store or just their signature, and I would pick it up. I would take it home. I would meditate holding their object, and I would write down pages of notes, and then I would call them while holding their object and do a reading. And then I would drive their object back to the metaphysical store and drop it off. It was so weird the way I worked. Um, but anyway, so that's how I got started. And then after that year, I started doing readings part-time at the metaphysical store, and teaching part-time at the community college. And my department chair's dad passed away that time during that time, um, right at the beginning of 2008. And he came through very quickly, like within a month of his passing, and I was able to give her some messages. And she was, like, really floored. It really, really helped her. And she started getting into this stuff and reading all about it. So anyway, at the um, at the end of the spring semester, I go to her for my fall schedule, you know, as you do. And she hands me a blank sheet of paper and I, my heart started pounding and I said, am I fired? Like, I'm kind of a good teacher. Why are you firing me? And she said, I'm not firing you. I'm giving you your wings. I said, what do you mean? And and she said, Samantha, you really helped me with that message. Like God has given you something you need to use it. And she said, I want you to do this work full time. If it doesn't work out, the door here is always open. But give yourself one semester to try this. So I got my own little office above a yoga studio. And on August 8th, 2008, because I wanted the triple eights, I started this full time. (laughs) And did it ever since. So, so literally from, from start to finish, we're looking at maybe a five-year period? Yeah, really, probably three years, three or four years. Three years, which is incredible. It's absolutely incredible, but also so serendipitous that it all worked into the right direction of this is what you need to be doing. It would have been really hard to say, no, nah, I don't think so. But I'll tell you, like, in that time... You know, uh, in that whole time, my kids, you know, I had three kids in four years. So I had really, really young kids. So I'm sure that's part of it. But I also didn't watch TV or read books. I didn't keep up with the news. Like I was hyper focused on this. It was, it was like you said, like somebody flipped a switch and I just kind of boom, 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 you know, jumped in. And I think that, you know, doing when, and I did the same thing, I gave away and gave, I, I didn't charge for readings for years. And it was a friend of mine who said, you know, you're, you're good, you need to charge for this. And my, I was like, I can't take people's money for this. This just is something I love to do. But I think doing that time, that's another aspect of being of service. And even to this, I, I still um, always, so many times a month, I, I gift readings or gift sessions with people because I think it's important to, to make sure that we continue to give back and, and help people. That, that's the bottom line. I agree, 100%. Um, so this is, so, now, do you have, well, it feels like you've evolved through all of this, and, and I have had the pleasure of, of meeting you face-to-face, and I have to agree with the person you met with who said you do emanate a light. You do. You have a very peaceful, you're very very safe, people feel comfortable with you, and also you are an incredible conduit of divine. It just flows through you beautifully. And I'm not saying that as an ego-based thing. I'm saying it as, you know, one, it, energetically, you, you're in the right place doing the right thing. Is there something else you'd like to expand with your work from where you are now? Or um, You mean like, what do I want to they, focus on now? Right, because it, and I think that's important because I was thinking about this earlier that this is a, a topic and a subject and a lifestyle that you never you never reach the end of the road. It always evolves to another level. There's always something else to learn or experience or vibrate or however you want to look at it. It never. It's like, oh, okay, I have a master's degree in this. I'm good. 
there's always and something new. And that's what's new. so exciting. Yeah, I am studying and learning a lot of new things for me, for my own personal growth. But professionally, what I really want to focus on is writing and teaching other people how to do this for their for themselves, how to how to awaken to their own intuition. Not necessarily so that they can become readers too, because that's not for everybody, but so that everybody can understand what really matters in life. You know, I opened up to my abilities during a very dark period where my my ex-husband was shot, but also I opened up during a, a miraculous period where I gave birth to my third little angel girl, Chloe. And since that time, you know, it's not like, I don't, there's no such thing as like happy ever after. You know what I'm saying? Like I've had some really dark times since, and I've had some really wonderful times since, but I went through um, breast cancer. I went through a divorce. Like, you know, a lot of difficult things have happened to me in the years since I've opened and I've never sunk down to a depression or a state of malaise or a state of why me, and I really feel it's because I was opened and awakened to this other world that exists right here around us. And it sustains me and it supports me and it gives me so much sense of purpose that my passion now is really getting people to see that in their own lives so that when they go, because, you know, look, C.S. Lewis said this world is suffering. Like we are, it's a world of duality. In order for there to be light, there must be darkness. So we are going to have amazing, wonderful times, but we're also going to have awful dark times as well. And so opening up to this and learning how to manifest and learning how to get in touch with your purpose isn't about it's not like, oh, the end game is great, no more pain for me. No, it's about learning no, how to it, be in that moment of pain and still understand the, the miracles in that. And it's empowering people. It's empowering people to, to step into their own, to honor their own light and the light within others, to come together as community. And I truly, I agree with you 100%. I think that that's the that's the tipping point we're at. Are people going to start to honor their heart and their path and step into that place of being true so that we can counteract the dark? That That is because there is a polarity right now and an intensity to that that's never been experienced before on this I planet, agree. I don't think. And, you know, I want more so. people to think about their death. I know that doesn't sound like a very optimistic thing to say, but hear me out. I really want people to think about what <laughs> what legacy you know, are you leaving in this, in this world? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, right. I, and, I have... and I, 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 exactly. I'll say to people when you, a lot of times during readings, and I say it to myself, when I get to the end of the road and look back, is this a time in my life that I'll regret that I didn't take this step or that I didn't make this choice? And that also makes it just, death becomes a transition, not an end. Exactly. Well, like, like take my father, who I mentioned before. My, my dad does love the classics. I mean, he is a true intellectual, but he spent his life working in advertising and hated it every day, hated his job and was really good at it. And um, he made a lot of money and he provided a really good upbringing for us. And that is honorable. That is something at the end of his life to look back on and pat himself on the back for, right? But at the same time, right. my dad will sit there and he'll say to you, my two biggest clients were R.J. Reynolds and Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> and he always says, I spent 30 years encouraging people to eat donuts and smoke cigarettes. And he said, <laughs> if he could do it all over again. Oh, I never thought of this with you, Denise. He said, I would, I would teach at a small college in Maine. <laughs> Yeah, he said if he could do oh. it all over again, he would teach English oh, at a small college in Maine. Um, and I and I think I think I look at him sometimes, and I think you know, I mean, yes, he had a lovely life, and he's been able to travel and do wonderful things because of the money he was able to make doing advertising. But I don't know if it was always a life of joy because I don't know that he ever lived his true purpose. He always wanted to be a teacher. He always wanted to just sit and read, and. And, and that's part of this as well, is when you do step into your own as an empath, as a sensitive, and, and learn how to how to manage it, how to accept it, how to enjoy it, it does bring that sense of joy into your yes. everyday life. 
and allows you to make yes, different choices. Exactly. And so I'm just I'm just saying that my passion now is getting people just to look at themselves differently, look at their choices differently, and just think about their life in a new light through the eyes of, oh my gosh, there really is something more and I can be a part of it. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, and believe it or not, we made it through another hour, which I went did. by really, thank really fast. Thank you, everybody, for letting me ramble. Um, Samantha, thank you. Oh, no, no. Thank you for sharing and being so open and direct and, and allowing us to peek into your world a little bit, because I think it was very inspiring and also helps people to realize that they'll get through their stuff, too, and it's going to be okay. Um on I, Samantha is samanthafay.com. She's absolutely fabulous if you need a reading. Um, Denise and it's thegratefulmessenger.com. On our next show, we'll be talking about cord cutting and different techniques and also bringing in some new new uh, research on that topic. So, very me much too. Looking me forward too. To We're going to try to take cord so, cutting beyond imagine a cord and imagine you cutting it. We're going to try to talk about really different out of the box techniques you can do to effectively manage your energy. And, and what to keep and what to let go of. It's huge. So thank you so very much. Thank this you. Is a pleasure. I hope everybody has a great week. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Take care.